we're in the 48th chapter of Isaiah. I think the last thing we read in there was the 10th verse of that 48th chapter. But now we're going to go to the 18th verse and the 22nd verse of that chapter. Because Israel had been disobedient, they had been committing idolatry, and as talking to the people and seeing in the world that they had people talking about world peace and peace in the Middle East, uh, a person having peace. But you know, without God, obedience to God's laws and God's word, there is no peace. You can have no peace. There's no rest to the weary. There's no rest to those that violate God's laws. And without uh, uh, obedience or walking in those laws, you have a certain restlessness of vexation of spirit. And he says to the wicked, there's no peace. There's no rest to the wicked. Uh, Wicked is somebody that's morally very bad or evil. We'll define it later on as those that's rebellious against God's laws, against God's word. That word wicked is, wicked is disposed to or marked by mischief. Those that are marked by mischief. The children of Israel, the verse 18, uh, it reads, Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments, then had thine peace been as a river, and as thine righteousness as the waves of the sea. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments, he says. Then your peace and prosperity would have been like a flowing river, and your righteousness, the holiness and purity of the nation, like the abundant waves of the sea. They would have had a constant stream of peace, peace all the time, you know, and that's one thing, you want peace in your home, you want peace wherever you go, you want peace on the job, you you want a sense of calmness, of, of peace in your life. Peace, there is absence of conflict, you know, external conflict, but spiritually you can have, not have peace and you'll have internal conflict, a conflicted heart, a conflicted mind. Unless, of course, your conscience has been seared. There's people whose consciences are seared and sometimes they can rest when they really shouldn't rest. That They don't have a conscience of guilt or anything bothering them or whatever. But going on in that same chapter that we end up, verse that we want to we'll land on here, is, but there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There's no peace for the wicked. And I tell you, the wicked are those that rebel against God's laws or against God. In particular, we're talking about those that know what God says or what God requires. And we were talking about Israel, the children of God. And so I'm also talking about the church or the so-called professing church. Those that know what they should be doing. Uh, Isaiah, the first chapter, the second verse says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. I have nursed and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. 
They rebel against me. You know, that's something as you, especially when you have young men, you know, boys, they rebel against the word of the father, give the father a lot of times hardships or problems or anything. And in the Old Testament, you know, one time that the rebellious children, the remedy, if they wouldn't stop rebellions and there was a glutton and a wine, different problems and everything, the Bible came to the point of saying that they should be stoned to death. Mm. That's rebellious, you know, rebellion. He told Saul, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You know, disobedience and rebellion, all these things are very wicked in the Lord's sight. The Lord was busy creating the heavens and the earth and creating all he did, but on the Sabbath day, he rested. On the Sabbath day was a day of rest. Yeah. Rest is a sign of stillness, of peace, of calmness, of oneness, or whatever. And the Sabbath day, a, a spiritual Sabbath, is a promise of rest to God's people. And like I said, in, in rest, it's an end to work and an end to toil. And it's a blessing to be able to rest. It's a blessing to be able to have that time set apart to where there's, in other words, it's no stress or anxieties or things to worry about. And it's so much in the world, you know, that, that keeps you, keeps you on earth. And that's why the, he keeps telling us to see that we be not troubled and having anxiety and all of these things. So that's why a lot of people fear fear that they hadn't entered into Jesus' rest. That rest, it says Joshua hadn't given them rest, so he wasn't spoken of another day. But we see where we can enter into Christ's rest. In other words, if we allow him to do all the work or whatever, he gives us a rest of peace, and it's spiritual. It has to be spiritual. He says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world give. So that doesn't mean it's going to be free from external restraints or internal things coming against you, but you have the spirit that helps you abide these things because he gives us his peace and his joy, and the world can't take those away. So by allowing ourselves to get out of God's will of doing things in disobedience to God, it can disrupt our peace, our joy, or whatever, but those are things that we allow, and he tells us that we should be overcomers. And so I said peace is the absence of conflict, but that's maybe a closer to a secular definition because the peace that God gives us, there's a lot of time there is conflict, and it's conflict with the world, and wrestling against powers and principalities or whatever, but we're not moved or disturbed because the battle is the Lord's and we learn how to let him shoulder all of those things. He says, see that you be not troubled, that you believe in God, believe also in me. So it's a faith transferal of all our worthy cares and casting them upon him. We let the Lord handle it. We, we don't worry about tomorrow and the day that it's going to bring and what should we wear and what we're going to put on and how this is going to turn out. We have to, that, that brings anxiety 
that brings a disturbance of the inner man. Um, follows peace, follows justification. And I tell you, only children of God enjoy that peace and joy that comes from God. So that peace only follows justification when we be put in right standing with God and God's people are justified in Christ Jesus. Well, once he justifies us, places in that right standing, it's a removal of guilt. The book of Romans, the fifth chapter, the first verse says, therefore, since we've been justified, that is, we are acquitted of our sins, declared blameless before God by faith. That, that's by faith. Now, every, you remember I told you, all this has to come through faith, through the preaching, through the word of God, that now we're no longer under condemnation, that, that mind of being condemned, we are free from that. Yes, We're free from that. It brings inner peace. It says, let us grasp the fact that we have peace with God, that now we're at peace with God. We're being what? Reconciled back to God. Yes. We're placed back in fellowship and right standing with God since he justified us. He's putting back and allowing us to see this from the proper perspective that we're no longer enmity, uh, enemies of God. We're st- if we're in the flesh, being in the flesh is carnal or uh, being carnal, and we know that presents enmity against God, so we must crucify, put to death anything that's carnal or fleshly within us because we now have peace with God. And the joy of reconciliation with him that, remember I told you, you can forgive somebody or you can allow things to go by and, and forgive and clear things, but then there has to be a reconciliation. Sometimes there's not a reconciliation. You may forgive one another, but you may not even have any fellowship association with one another anymore. Yeah. But a reconciliation, as he says, is turning the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. In other words, it puts you back in fellowship. Amen. The relationship is to a point where now you, you've repented and turned and now you can walk in agreement with God because now you want to walk pleasing unto God, unbe- obedient unto him and submissive to his ways in his will and his commandments so that you can get that peace because it says, if you don't hearken unto my commandments, it would have flowed. It would have been continuing. Yes. So that reconciliation through our Lord Jesus Christ comes. Now, as that's coming, that grows in its proceed. It comes from a stream to a river and it could overflow the banks in other words, that peace and joy continues to grow because he says, be filled with the spirit. And we see that peace is a fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Peace is one of the fruits of the spirit. And that's one thing that we be fruitful and the fruit would multiply. Yeah. And there's ways to multiply fruit. And that's through working it and exercising, abiding in the vine. And he produces fruit. We produce fruit in the Lord more abundantly. Romans 14 and 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not just a matter of eating and drinking, 
of what one likes or whatever, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not just about this and that, but it's peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is a way of life. It, it yes. puts you in a place. It's, it puts you in a, in a situation, a state of mind where it's joy in the kingdom. It's righteousness. And we fulfill the righteousness of Christ Jesus walking in the kingdom. Yes. That peace, I said, would grow. That peace grow and we should, what, pursue peace. Peace yeah. is something that you pursue. It says pursue peace with all men. Live as peaceably as possible with all men. The book of Galatians, when we're talking about the works of the flesh, and the things of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, the fifth chapter of Galatians, the 22nd verse says, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. What type of fruit will he produce? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. That's the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces. Let me read that to you in the Amplified Version. It makes it a little bit differently. Because like I said, the weary can get no rest or have no peace because they're in rebellion against God or God's children. The reason they don't enjoy God's uh, peace or have a peace is because they're walking in disobedience to God. Galatians in Amplified reads, but the fruit of the Spirit, that is, the result of God's presence within us, is love, that is, an unselfish concern for others. We're no longer self-centered. It's not all about us. It's not so anymore a coveting, and I want, and it's about me, and I'm, it's all about me. And like you said, with your friend that from work, it wasn't about them it was about your need, their concern for your state of being, yes. your awareness. Yes. It says joy, that is an inner peace, a peace that can't be disturbed by the circumstances of life, death, poverty, divorce, uh, enemies, all of these things that impinge upon you. There's an inner peace right in the midst of the lines, Then You remember we were talking about afflictions, and affliction comes, and God puts us sometime in the furnace of affliction, but right inside the lines, then Daniel was able to get a good night's rest. Yes. He was able to sleep in the lines then. Yes. Right there where he could have been destroyed, he had a peace because his trust and faith was in Jesus Christ. Amen. He had that inner peace. Uh, patience, that is, not the ability to wait, but it's how we act while we're waiting. Patience, listen at this now. Patience is not the ability to wait because sometimes you have to wait and sometimes people do get finicky while waiting, but Patience that God gives is not just ability to wait. It's but how we act while waiting. You know, while waiting upon the Lord, we are preparing this place 
for an onslaught of a lot of people coming in. We are preparing or we're getting ready. We're waiting expectantly for the Lord to do something. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. In older age, as I get older or whatever, I'm still waiting upon the Lord expectantly that I would bring forth more fruit in my latter year than I have done in my previous years. Is how are you waiting upon the Lord? Are you waiting expectantly, knowing that the Lord would deliver the fullness of the rewards? And are we busy? Sometimes you can be busy or be doing things while waiting. It's how you wait. So kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Now, another thing about peace to God's people and people that love God and love doing for God. You remember David was a man after God's own heart. Do you love God's laws and his commandments? If you love those and hide them within your heart, the book of Proverbs says, the 16th chapter and the 7th verse of Proverbs says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, here's the weary that there's no rest, there's no peace to the wicked. But here are those that of God that he even make those that are enemies of him, his, be at peace with him. The wicked man can't find peace anywhere because he's in a disagreement or rebellion against God. But those that ways are, are walking in the ways of God in agreement, those that are pleasing God, walking, pleasing unto God, God even makes his enemy not harass him. When Solomon disobeyed God, when Solomon started walking down the wrong track and God had warned him in a vision that the women were going to draw his heart away from God or whatever, Solomon caused the kingdom to be divided because his ways was not pleasing unto God. God started raising up enemies unto him because sometimes it's our enemies who have to help us to get back on track that God that God brings into our lives to cause us to pray, to cause us to do a lot of things. But here God started raising up enemies to Solomon, and Solomon supposedly was a type of Christ at one time to be one that was able to build the kingdom because he was a man of peace. Yes. Mm-hmm. David mm-hmm. couldn't build the temple of God because he was a man of blood. He shed much blood and David had such a, a, a warrior-like mentality to him that God had enemies around even though he delivered David from his enemies. David did have these enemies, but Solomon was marrying and intermarrying, and but to the point where his ways were not pleasing unto God. And, and, and with all his wisdom and knowledge and understanding, God started to raise up enemies unto Solomon and said that that was the cause the kingdom would be divided is because of Solomon's actions. Yes. So Jeroboam, and that's when a lot of other things started to happen in during Solomon's reign, but the peace was vanishing away. 
so we can do things in our lives to hinder our peace or cause peace to dissipate, to, to cause problems. You know, a household could be at peace and one person could come into that household or into that church or whatever and so different attitudes and different, different dispositions to cause unity and division and the church is no longer at peace. It, it brings contention and strife into a place. Yes. Uh, there's no peace to those uh, because are wicked because they walk a crooked path. Uh, their ways are evil. God was telling the children of Israel about this in the book of Isaiah, the 59th chapter. Uh, the first through the eighth verse. I think I, I I read the whole whole part of that verse, the fifty ninth chapter, the fifty seventh chapter. And I think the twenty seventh verse reads identical to the Isaiah the forty eighth chapter and the twenty second verse about there's no peace to the wicked. But here the fifty ninth chapter. Listen at this Isaiah, Isaiah says. Listen now. The Lord isn't too weak to save you, and he isn't getting deaf. He can hear you when you call, but the trouble is that your sins have cut you off from God. Yes. Because of sin, he has turned his face away from you and will not listen anymore. For your hands are those of murderers, and your fingers are filthy with sin. Remember I told you you have to have clean hands to serve the Lord, to work at the table of the Lord, to minister for God. We must have clean hands. These was God's people, a presumptive people that presumed that they could serve God in any condition and wasn't aware, didn't walk circumspectively of the characteristics that they had begun to manifest that caused sin to be manifest in their lives to the point where God wasn't even listening at their prayers anymore. God wasn't in their solemn assemblies that God didn't even want them bringing their offerings or anything else to him. He was ready to destroy the temple. He was ready to destroy his house of worship because of their actions, their ways, their crooked ways. He says, you lie and grumble. You oppose the good. No one cares about being fair and true. Your lawsuits are based on lies. You spend your time plotting evil deeds and doing them. You spend your time and energy in spinning evil plans that end up in deadly actions. All you do is like when I destroyed Noah and destroyed the world during the times of Noah, that your thoughts were continually evil. You go to bed devising and planning and dreaming and scheming to be covetous, to get ahead, and you're doing all. These are worldly matters, and it's worldliness, and it's ungodly what you're doing. You cheat and shortchange everybody. Everything you do is filled with sin. Violence is your trademark now. Your feet run to do evil and rush to murder. Your thoughts are only of sinning, and wherever you go, you leave behind a trail of misery and death. You don't know what true peace is, know what it means to be just and good. You continually do wrong, and those who follow you won't experience any peace either. Mm -hmm. 
you won't have peace and they won't have peace. It's it's a bad state of affairs when we, God's people, come to that point. When we come to a point, have a disposition as that, that all of our ways are crooked and that we're leaning unto our own understanding and that we're blind to God because God has to recompense our ways upon us. There's sowing and reaping it. That's what God's about to bring about is their destruction because he's going to recompense their ways upon them of what they've been doing. Remember I told you each transgression and sins to receive is just recompense of reward. The book of Ezekiel, the seventh chapter and the 25th verse says, Destruction cometh and they shall seek peace and there shall be none. You know, all of this that you've done and you think that you can do evil and then good could come from it or that you can turn and repent when you want to, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. And God had told Ezekiel, he says, tell them to mark the men in their forehead, those that mourn and sigh and that are doing the things that are God's people that I'll seal my people in their forehead, but then I'm going to send the destroying angels the nation is about to face this destroying angel. Mm. It's the times of the Gentiles have been fulfilled and God's about to work a work in this nation, yes. in this world. He's calling his people out of Babylon. Yes. Now, as he calls us out of Babylon, he's creating a new heaven and a new earth. He's doing new things. So his word, his prophecies, he said he's doing a new thing. He's going to do it according to his word. So us that are increasing in knowledge in the word of God knows that he's not talking about a destruction of his true people, that those people are come to power and that he's establishing a kingdom, that his kingdom is coming, that his will is being done, and that it's going to be right here upon this earth. That his kingdom is coming because that rock that was carved out without hands, that that great stone that smote the mountain, he's building a kingdom in this day because he says the kingdom of God is among you. Yes, yes. And those that we know when he says it's within us, that Christ is in us, the hope of glory, that we'll glorify him in a kingdom is rising up that God's will is coming to pass. Now, as the, 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 the reading verse says there in, in second uh, in the 48th chapter, the 22nd verse there, I read those two verses about the verse 18 about peace would have flow, flowed like a river. And the 22nd verse says, there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. So God is capable of doing more than one thing at one time. So he can destroy the wicked and take away their peace. But he also, at that same time, can increase our peace. Mm. He can place us in a place of comfort and to us seeing the silver lining right in the midst of that calamity because it says, it shall not come nigh thee. In the midst of earthquake, devastation, fire, destruction, natural disasters, murdering and killing, God has a people that he can protect and keep his people. He says, I'll be a God unto you. 
in the book of Chronicles, the second Chronicles, the 15th chapter, first to the seven verses where he said, and the spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed, and he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, he says, here be Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season, Israel had been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times, there was no peace to him that went out and none to him that came in. But great vexation were upon all the inhabitants of the countries, and nation was destroyed of nation and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity. Be ye strong, therefore, and not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So we see a country, we see a nation, we see cities in terminal, in turmoil, And a lot of us think there's no way out, but God is making that way out. God is doing a new thing. Mm. He's destroying, and right in the midst of all of the destruction, he's rising up his people. He's raising up a kingdom that's going to bring him glory. So uh, I was sitting watching the news the other day, uh, one of the neighbors in this subdivision or wherever it was in Livingston, I didn't forget where it was. Let, let me not. It was on Surf Street. Whereas this little girl was playing in the neighbor's yard and a pit bull pounced on her and killed her, destroyed her. The animal wasn't on the least. Two or three days, a week or two ago, a guy got killed right down where Alton Sterling had got killed at. Mm. Uh, Russia had been pounding Ukraine and devastating Ukraine. And then Speaker of the House, he made a whole lot of concessions to weaken himself just to get elected to a position of power within his own home state. This suffering catastrophic flooding and raining in California and destruction. And I'm reading about the state of Mississippi where in Jackson, Mississippi, the water supply has gone dry for a third time within two two years. They're out of water in that city. Listen, city to city, throughout the nation, throughout the world, all of this calamity, all of this confusion, and a lot of people are trying, like I said, they electing people and the churches are moving and doing all these things, looking for a way. But there's no answer. There's no peace. There's no resolve because they turned, they disobeyed God and they hadn't sought God. But for those that are turning to God, there is a restoration. God had promised a restoration to his people that would listen at Cyrus and Cyrus says, all those that would go back and build the temple of God that wanted to come out of bondage of Babylon, they could. 
that God had made a way and God always makes a way. God hath made a way for his people to have peace because he had sent the prince of peace. But in sending that prince of peace, there was conditions in which that prince of peace brought with him. He says, think not that I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword because there was still some that are rebellious and not willing to repent, not willing to turn toward God and deliver up or abrogate their ways to die to self. They wanted it. They want religion their way. That's when many antichrists, you read that yesterday, there are many antichrists in the world, those that are among us preaching and teaching false gospels. But Jesus says, I come to bring a sword. I come to set one another at variance with one another. So we have to be very careful in this day and time because there is a lot going on. There is a lot going on. I tell you, I, I, did, I read Isaiah 58. Let's see, I've read all of these. Let me go to Ezekiel here to tell you another thing what was happening during that time. He says, for these evil men deceive people. Who, what evil men? What wicked men? He's talking about the false prophets here. Ezekiel and Jeremiah talked about false prophets and teachers because that's the the, the most pertinent, that's the most pernicious, that's the most perilous danger we have now is false teachers and preachers. Yes. Yes, He says, these evil men deceive my people by saying God will send peace when that is not my plan at all, God said. That's not my plan to send peace. When I advocated or told you about peace, you will you would not listen. God's people are hunkering down. God's people are being in, hidden in Christ. He says, come into my chamber, but for a moment, while he pour out his wrath upon the world. And pouring out the vials, the bowls of his wrath upon the world, he tipped. He had told his people, now you come out of Babylon, come out of the world unless you take part in her plagues and her illnesses and sicknesses here. He says, my people build a flimsy wall and these prophets praise them for it and cover it with whitewash. They daub it with a little prayer here, a little facade of what God says here. And these words, they won't profit them at all. They've given you false hope. They haven't given you the true hope. The book of Zechariah says, the 8th chapter and the 10th verse, he says, For before those days there were no wages for man or animal, nor was there any peace or success for him who went out or came in because of the enemies of for, uh, of the enemies. The Amplified reads enemies. The King James reads afflictions. For I set men against one another. You remember I told you it's going to be a time that we're going to be set at variance one with another. The enemies are not going to be at peace. You remember I told you if, if your ways please God, he's going to make your enemies be at peace with you. But then that those that are not God's people, those that are not pleasing God, there's a lot in the churches. There's a lot in places that God has at each other's throats. Yes. 
He had set variance to one another. And as I was telling you about this speaker in the house, it hadn't been this way in over 120 some years since the Civil War. It hadn't taken this long to get a speaker of the house elected. It took some 15 ballots and his own party was fighting against it. It was some 20 members that was a holdout. It was four or five of them that was never Kevin voters. And in the end, instead of these people conceding and vote with him, the only way he got in over the other party, the other party had 212 votes, I think. And the way he won was the four members that said that even though they was of his party, they would never vote for him. They voted present. He made a concession to whereas with one person, with one vote, that they could set it up to cast him out. But in his his pleasure-seeking way in wanting the power and the prestige, he conceded to that. He made a compromise and went along with that just to get the gavel, just to get that position. He compromised himself. The weakest leader that could be in that position. And if we can't see what's coming down the pipe, we're blind. Because they're going to want him to rebel. They're going to want him to hold up legislation. They're going to want him not to have a continuing resolution. They're going to want him not to put forth a budget. And we're going to have a blockage. We got a lot of things coming down the pipe. There's no peace coming. Peace won't be there. It'll be peace for God's people. But we'll be able to get through this, Deacon. God's peace. God's peace. It's something to go along with anything but not have God's peace. The book of John, the 14th chapter, and the 27th verse says, I'm leaving you with a gift, a peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you isn't fragile like the peace the world gives you. So don't be troubled or afraid. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Now, you remember I told you when Jesus talking to his disciples, he can, what he say the one, he's not saying to all there now. When he says, I pray for them, I pray not for the world. He's talking exclusively to his people. Just like with the parables, he waited till he was inside to explain the parables to his people. So when he says, pray our father, he's talking to those that are born again, those that God is their father. God's not everyone's spiritual father. He says, in the Amplified, it says, peace I leave with you, my perfect peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. But let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. That's what his peace does, and that's what it should do for all of us. We should let that peace rule in our heart. But he only gives it to his people, those whose ways are pleasing unto him, those that are being drawn to apply this in this latter day and time. God's peace is a deep spiritual peace unaffected by the world, unaffected by the world. Let me read this in two different translations here. Romans, the eighth chapter, the sixth through the ninth verse. 
He says, now the mind of the flesh is death, both now and forever, because it pursues after sin. But the mind of the spirit is life and peace. That is, the spiritual well-being that comes from walking with God, both now and forever. The mind of the flesh, with its sinful pursuits, is actively hostile to God. It does not submit itself to God's laws, and since it cannot, and those who are in the flesh, that is, living a life that caters to sin for appetites and impulses, cannot please God. So if you living for the things of the world, for the lust of the flesh, for all the things that are in the world, and those sinful pursuits, you actively hostile to God, and he says, love not the world, nor the things of the world. That mind, those of the flesh, the carnal mind, is enmity to God, and it cannot please God because they are not walking by faith. They can't walk by faith. They're not attempting to please God because they're carnal. They're hostile to God. Uh, I... However, you who are not you who are not in the flesh, that is not controlled by the sinful nature, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God lives in you, uh, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So if that spirit's not living in you, if you're not led by the spirit of God, you cannot please God. You cannot have this peace that's coming from God, and you can't have it both ways. You have to be for him or against him. And so you have to be walking by faith, and you have to be born again. Of necessity to have this peace, you have to be pleasing unto God. Because he said, I give my peace unto you. He didn't give it to everybody. And he says, not if the world give it. Mm-hmm. So it can be comforted by a political position, a position in religion, a church, or somebody promising you this. Only the Holy Spirit can make this a reality to you. That's why I say it's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because the Spirit confirms this. It's Spirit confirmed. It's confirmed by faith through faith. Amen. It's the grace of God. We can have this peace if we truly trust God's redemptive plan and are striving to produce the character and are obedient unto his word. So if we're in a religion that doesn't have this redemptive plan of Jesus Christ, it's all in Christ in that Offers that by the blood, only by the blood are we delivered through this and are saved through this and we're justified and put in right standing that it's all in Christ, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. There's no other peace. There's no other anything to be offered. And you have to be with daily thanksgiving unto God because one of the things in the book of Romans that it says that people are unthankful. And we're living in an unthankful, uh, ungrateful generation. And that's why we pray each day, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Yes. We thanking God. And, and if you go to the book of Philippians, Philippians, the fourth chapter in the sixth verse, it says, 
Do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, that is in every circumstance, every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your request known unto God. Because Jesus said, whatever you need, ask the Father in my name, and that he'll do. So whatever that's going on in your life, whatever condition or situation or anything that's happening in your life, you petitioning God in Christ's name for that to be alleviated. Yes, yes, amen. It says, and the peace of God, that is, that peace which reassures our heart, that peace which transcends all understanding, that peace will stand God over your hearts and in your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace. That peace. That's the peace. Because, like I say, to the world, if you're walking by sight, it might not look like this is about to be right. But we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith, and we know God's going to make it right. Yes. Because he delivers us out of all of our affliction. Those that are righteous, hmm? yes, our prayer should be reflective of those things. Our prayer should reflect our gratitude toward God for what he has done in our lives and what he gives us to do and what he's doing. We thank him each and every day. Our everyday words and thoughts should reflect a positive mindset of hope and joy and thankfulness for God and to God. He has a great plan of salvation. We know we figure prominently in that plan, and we thank God for his plan. We thank God for including us in his plan, placing us in his plan. Thankfulness is a form of contentment. To be thankful and not wanting more, more, is to be content with such that you have and what God is doing for you. For we, uh, we could view it as a peace of mind or tranquility. A truly thankful person is usually not an individual who worries a lot. Do you worry about this and that always the next thing? Are you sitting at home trying to figure this out, hoping this happening, hoping that happening? It's so many variables that this go on or whatever. Being thankful puts our thoughts on God rather than on our problems. <laughs> if you sit there thinking about the problem of working, the problem, your thoughts not on God. You remember I told you the thoughts of man was continually weakened because you sitting there scheming and devising, trying to work this out, and God has it already worked out. It's already worked out. It's already done. It is finished. All we have to do is walk therein. And Colossians, the third chapter and the 15th verse Paul writes encouraging, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. I'm thankful. You see what I'm saying? Yes. We were called to this. Let that peace that we don't have to get all this done. And how you going to do this, Lord? How you going to do this and this? Well, it's going to come together. We go wait upon God, and it's not, it's it's the way we wait. You remember I told you, it's in how you wait, not just waiting, but it's the attitude, it's how we do, or how we act while waiting. The more we allow God's peace to be in control, 
the more settling, the more thankful we'll become. Okay, now on the flip side of that, the more thankful we are, the more God's peace will rule in our hearts and mind also. The more thankful we are. That's why Jesus said, I thank you, Lord, that you always hear me. Before he even answered the prayer, we thank you that you hear you. We thank you that you answer. We thank God. That's faith, thanking him before it occurred, because we know. The, the children, the, what the Hebrew boys worried about going in the fire, we know God is able to deliver us, and we thank God for whatever he do. So it, it wasn't a question of being upset. When God is not in all of our thoughts, therein lies the problem. Your thought life, you remember I told you the thoughts are the problem? We have to have the right thought life in that our thoughts are continually evil and that's why he destroyed the whole world. God says, your thoughts are not like my thoughts. Your ways are not like my ways. The book of Psalms, the 10th chapter. You need to read that in the, the King James, that the Amplified and the Living doesn't say it exactly as the King James, but this is what the King James says. The wicked, through the pride of his consciousness, will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. God is not in, when God is not in all of your thoughts, you have a problem. That's why when you play, putting on the whole arm of God each morning, I put on the whole arm of God and I put on the helmet of salvation according to Ephesians. And it says, putting on the helmet of salvation, bringing every thought into the captivity and obedience of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, casting down imagination in every high thing that exalted itself against God. He's the one that pulled down the strongholds of loosening the cords of sin that binds us. It's in your mind. Let that mind that be in you that was in Christ Jesus. It's a transforming of the mind. You remember I tell you, it's a peace of mind. If you can get peace there, you won't be, you know, if something vexes you and stresses you out and worries you, you know, that vexation is something. If you've ever been vexed, you know what I'm talking about. Vexed and it causes you to be restless and, and all kinds of things there. It's in the mind. It's in the mind. And I was assigned in many problems like discouragement, depression, anger, and other mental and emotional troubles are treated with chemicals and drugs. Now, a lot of these medicines are designed to offer some form of relief. Some work and some don't work. Some of them, the side effects in them are worse than the original problem is, you know. It causes, some of them might be listening, that they have to put the side effects on the drugs on the box and tell you on the commercial thing. Some of them, they say, well, this might cause suicide. It might cause weight loss. It might cause hallucination. It might cause all of these other things. Sometimes it's worse than the problem itself. Yeah. <laughs> Now, some of these drugs are addictive. Some of them can be addictive. For us, those thankful and praising God are effective and beneficial antidotes for discouragement, depression, and anger. That's one thing we don't, you know, children of God, 
some of those things, drugs, you don't have to bother with because thankfulness to God and praising God and your thought life is the medication that works on those. You don't have to worry about the antidepressant anxiety and all these other medications that way. I know there's some physical chemicals that are lacking in some people or whatever, and I'm not talking against medical science as such, but God is the answer, faith in God, and he'll direct you. You remember I says, lean not to your own understanding, but that he'll direct you in all of your ways? Yes. So there are things that God can help you with. So sometimes psychologically something is causing your blood pressure to be high. Mm. And then maybe chemically or something you're doing or eating is causing it. But stress and other factors can cause those things. And it's not necessary a medical or chemical you need, but it's a spiritual answer. God's the answer. Supplication with thanksgiving will enliven our prayer life. You ever wake, you ever go and pray, and then after you get a good prayer in and you feel contact with God, you feel relieved, you feel that burden lifted, you feel the resolve, you, you get an enlivened feeling, it lifts your spirit. It will lift us up and give us a more positive perspective because prayer doesn't necessarily change things. Prayer changes us. It lines us up with the will of God. If we pray according to his will, according to his word, it gets us to seeing things from God's perspective. The world had caused you to see things from its perspective, from its outlook. You might have been myoptic in looking at it. You might have been looking at it in the wrong perspective. But once we start to pray and Look, line ourselves up with God's will and his word and see this from God's perspective, we know it's all right. We know it's, they, there lies the answer. Uh, in our society, I was saying that about the drugs and the supplication, a thankful attitude will help us to erase any doubts we may have as we pray. And will also decrease uncertainty in our lives in general because we know where our help comes from. All our help comes from the Lord. And and if we look unto him and keep a positive look at that, proper thankfulness will help us to increase our faith in God because we will constantly be relating to him and reflecting upon him and thanking and cause our hearts to be set up on him and his deliverance from the problems. This last one I'll do, and then we'll continue on uh, another time on this. Psalms, the 10th chapter, the 5th through the 6th verse says, uh, His ways are grievous. Thine judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all of his enemies, he puffeth at them. He saith in his heart, I shall not be moved for I shall not be in adversity. Now, this is the wicked that we're talking about. I read earlier on Psalm 14 and 4, but this is the wicked and his thoughts and the ways, his proud, his pride, his high-mindedness have him above the situation. The living version reads, Yet their success in everything they do and their enemies fall before them. 
they do not see your punishment awaiting them. They boast that, that neither God nor man can ever keep them down. Somehow they will find a way. Uh, the Amplified says his mouth is full of curses and deceit and fraud and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness that is injustice and sin. The wicked person continually causes problems for others and overflows with self-confidence. So he's never retracted in what he's doing. He's like Pharaoh. He's continually hardening his heart. And he sees, seems like it's working because from a worldly perspective, seems like he's winning. Seems like the thing is profiting or whatever. But vengeance is the Lord. He'll repay. There's going to be a time of reckoning. There's a time of vindication that comes from the from God. So all of that boasting, when you turning the other cheek, when you allowing this person to say and do all that they're doing, God isn't slack concerning his promises, but there's a time. And that's why we patiently wait upon the Lord. And it says, according to how we wait. So we're not waiting with abusive language. We're not waiting in a in a co- complaining and murmuring. We're waiting and looking unto God to vindicate us. And if you go all the way down to that last verse of the Psalm 10, 18 verse, it says, to vindicate and obtain justice for the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth will no longer terrify them. What? In other words, they'll soon be cut off. He says, fret not thyself because of evildoers, that those that who had been afflicting you, causing you problems and tribulations, he's able and he will move them out the way. Remember, the righteous and the meek inherit the earth. So God's working a work to purge and cleanse the earth. He's working a work to eliminate the wicked. He's working a work to eliminate those that are causing problems and difficulties for for you doing your job and doing what he had commissioned and told you to do. But you should continually work and do what God had given you to do and bless you to do. Be thankful to God and acknowledge him in all your ways and that you continually work to please him, that you walk pleasing unto God. And when those ways, when those things please God, he'll make your enemies be at peace with you. So it's God that deals with your enemies. You pray to God. Your prayer to God and all these thankfulness for God for handling the problem. All of the things, the afflictions that David was enduring, he would bring those to God. He had prayers of what they call imprecations. In other words, that he was asking God to bring curses down upon his enemy, those that were doing these things to him. But notice that he told his people that to touch not God's anointed and do his prophets no harm, that we wouldn't do anything, but he says... One of these days, Saul would get what he had coming to him, but he wasn't going to do it. So we don't do evil. We don't speak evil. It says speak evil of no man. So we're going to do what's uprightly before God and walk in ways that are pleasing unto him. 
and he'll give us peace. He'll cause the enemies to be at fighting with one another. 